This message is brought to you by the CD and Internet Ministry of Rancho Baptist Church in Temecula, California. This message was recorded during our regular Sunday morning service times. Well, we are very excited to have with us our pastoral candidate, Jason Swanson, with us this morning, and he'll be bringing the Word of God from 1 Samuel chapter 17, talking about God's faithfulness to us. Let's join Jason now as he brings the Word. Good morning. Well, it is my privilege and great pleasure to introduce to you Jason Swanson this morning. As the search team first met with Jason on a video interview in February, and as the elders started to interact with him through the review process, we were all impressed with his love for the Lord, his love for his wife Shannon and his family, his care and concern for people, and his delight in teaching God's Word. We are all convinced that the Lord has brought us together today. And now we look forward to Jason coming and opening God's Word to us and sharing his experience. Jason, would you please come? And let's welcome him as he comes and opens, opens God's Word. Good morning, everyone. It, it is a pleasure to, to be with you all this morning. If you could turn in your Bibles to the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 17. For that is the text that, by God's wonderful grace, I will be unpacking this morning. First Samuel chapter 17, and we'll start at 40, verse 48 and 51. So please follow along as, as I read out loud. Then it happened when the Philistine rose and came and drew near to meet David, that David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand into his bag and took from it a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. And the stone sank into his forehead so that he fell on his face to the ground. Thus David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. And he struck the Philistine and killed him, but there was no sword in David's hand. Then David ran and stood over the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of its sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, this morning we gather in no other name for no other purpose but to exalt You, our holy, wonderful, gracious, kind, loving, compassionate, and faithful God. We gather to exalt Your name, to lift You high. Lord, I I pray that, that You would help this morning to give us all a a higher view of you, that you would expand our faith, that you would challenge us to to walk closer with you, and that you would just honor the preaching of your word this morning and set me aside and allow your spirit to do its work, Lord. I thank you for the power of your living word. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen. 
First Samuel chapter 17, I recognize that um, if I were to get a show of hands as to who in this room has never heard the story of David and Goliath, I dare think nobody <laughs> would raise your hand, right? All of you have heard the story of, of David and Goliath at some point, whether it's like Veggie Tales as a child or, or who knows what, and you've probably heard it preached many times before. And actually, if I were to tell you this, you, you, you might be a little surprised. When we were serving as missionaries in the country of Papua New Guinea and involved in our church planning work there, we, we made it through the beginning of the Bible and, and we were doing our evangelistic Bible lessons. And I got to the life of David and I started sharing this very story with our people. And I, I must let you know that, that these are people that are cut out, cut off from the rest of the world. This is National Geographic. There were still five cannibals in this tribe when we moved in. They had, they called an airplane a dragonfly because that's the only thing they could pin it to. So we're talking people that are out there, right? And when I started telling this story, they're like, well, take it on today on a tent. They said, hey, this, this talk of a big guy, we have that. And I'm like, Wait, what do you mean? You, ha- you have a talk about David and Goliath? Oh yeah, but, but his name isn't Goliath. His name is Namadiao. And, and the story goes something like this. This is what our ancestors have passed on to us. Namadiao comes into the village of Siawi and he's as tall as a tree. That's their way of saying he's really tall. And he comes in and he says, Nobody do you know. He says, all of you who want to get new living eyes forever, eternal life, come to me. But instead of coming to him, all of the Siawis get scared and they run off in, into the jungle and leave Namadiao alone. And so Namadiao, instead of giving them eternal life, he gives, them, he gives eternal life supposedly to the snakes and that's why snakes shed their skin. In case you guys were wondering, I, I don't believe in that story. I, I don't think that the snakes have eternal life. But my point is, is that, man, lots of us like have heard stories about David and Goliath or giants and this and that. And actually, as I, as I went to prepare this sermon, I, I don't know why I threw this out to my kids because it ended up coming back not so good. But I threw this out to my two oldest children, to, to Blake and Kara. And I, I said, hey, I'm going to preach on David and Goliath. And they're like, Dad, what are you talking? Why do you want to preach on David and Goliath? Everybody knows that story. There's nothing new you're going to bring to that. That's like a kiddie story. And then I said, well, well, actually, on top of it, not, not only do I believe that the Old Testament is important, that's why I want to teach this, because it's just as inerrant and it's just as profitable for teaching, for reproof, and for correction as the New Testament, but I actually believe that, that, that sometimes people don't grasp the significance of David and Goliath as much as, as they should. And, and I believe that even this whole understanding that David was the underdog might be a little bit off. And then they're like, oh, not only are you crazy, but you're just wrong, Dad. What do you mean that, that, that David is not the underdog? Come on, he's just a little shrimp of a guy against Goliath. Of course this is a story about the underdog. And so stay with me. Be, because I, I believe that, that Scripture does give us some insights that, okay, yes, on the physical side of things, David appears to be an underdog. But in the reality, David had a secret weapon. Not a secret weapon. He had the secret weapon. And it was that secret weapon that allowed David not to be the underdog. 
And so for that reason, I've entitled this sermon, The Secret Weapon. And as you can see, I'm not going to do a million PowerPoints. At some point, you know, I will figure out PowerPoints, but I'm used to having two chalkboards behind me. And a whole bunch of people with guys not wearing shorts, or wait, guys wearing shorts, girls, (laughs) I better just forget that, okay? (laughs) But what, what I thought I would do is just go ahead and walk through what you have on your notes and the fill in the blanks. The secret weapon, so that you know right away exactly where I'm going and what God's Word is going to communicate us today, to us today. The secret weapon of David is, here's the fill in Blake, his living, his covenant-keeping, faithful God. Those are the three fill-ins. His living, his covenant-keeping, and his faithful God. Because the main point of the story is is to show that God is indeed faithful. And that what He desires from His children is for us to walk in faith before Him. And so we're going to see God in and through all of this narrative, through this whole account, even though at times it's kind of hard to pick Him up. We're going to see Him in Goliath as, as God is defiled, He is defied, and He is cursed. And I know none of this is in your notes, but if you guys want to add things, that's great. We're going to see him in Saul and the Israelite army as well. And there we're going to see that God is forgotten, he is abandoned, and he is ignored. Honestly, they treat God like he is dead. Non-existent. Finally, through David, the complete opposite. We're going to see that God is remembered, he is defended, and he is exalted. Through the life of David. Through his walking by faith. And if you like an outline, I've included an outline as well. A way for for us to kind of navigate through this chapter, which has lots of moving parts, lots of different characters and and this and that. And so I think the best way to look at it is to look at it as as four different movements that that go on. And the first movement, easily seen as the movement seen in Goliath, verses 1 to 11. The second movement is is the movement of David coming to the battle line, coming to to the fighting ground with Israel, right? The third movement is David coming to Saul, to King Saul. And that's verses 31 to 40. And the final movement, as I've already alluded to in red, is David coming against Goliath, verses 41 to 54. And even within these three movements, we see that there are three responses to the challenge of Goliath. Three responses. The first response is is, is the wrong response, right? It's the response of fear, and that's what we're going to see in in King Saul and the the Israelite army. The second response is of faith, which is God's desired response. And the the third one we're going to see is the response of our God. And that is the response of faithfulness. So turn with me back one page or two pages, depending on if you have a study Bible or not, to 1 Samuel chapter 17. We're going to start with verses 3 to 10. Verses 3 to 10. This is going to kind of give us the who, the what, and the, and the where, right? Because we have to have the background, the backdrop, the context of where this story takes place, when this story takes place, and, and who this story takes place among. Verse 3, This Philistine stood on the mountain on one side, while Israel stood on the mountain on the other side, with the valley between them. So, so you notice from, that, from the picture behind me, that is the, the valley of of Elah, which is where this whole scene takes place. 
the Philistines have decided that they want to accrue, they want to take over more of the promised land. They see how fertile and how great the land is, so they're, so they're coming over into, into Israelite territory. And so their battle, their, their entire army has come up to battle the Israelites. The Israelites are trying to stop them from coming and, you know, taking their land. And then what you'll notice is, they're on one mountain, the Philistines are on the other, and there's a valley right in between. And most commentators say that, that this valley is so small that it couldn't contain both the armies. And I've, and I've said that God is the secret weapon, that God is in this story over and over and over again. I think the first place where we see Him is here. You see, He's working all things. Even getting down to the minute details as to where they're going to do this battle to show that, you know what, these, these two great big armies can't battle here. And so what... What needs to happen is you guys send out a champion from your side and we'll send out a champion from our side and and winner will take all. Because what would happen if the two armies battled out? Then then God and His glory and His wonderful name and the act of faith done by David would, would go unnoticed. Right? And so what God is trying to do is magnify Himself. And He's trying to show how faithful and how gracious and how incredibly powerful He is that he could use somebody like David. So let's go on to verse 4 and we'll see who this champion is. Everybody knows about him, right? Then a champion came out from the armies of the Philistines named Goliath from Gath, whose height was six cubits in a span. Basically nine feet, nine inches. If you guys have study Bibles, it probably tells you that or it might say eight foot six. It kind of depends on on what the commentators use for this distance from from your elbow to the top of your, your middle finger. It's either 18 inches or 16 inches. But the... The real point is, is that he's a huge monster. (laughs) He's bigger than anybody that you and I have seen or that the Israelites would commonly see. And so his all, everything that's described about him is to bring about just an overwhelming fear and timidity on the side of, of, of the Israelites. He had a bronze helmet on his head. Verse 5, and he was clothed with scale armor which weighed 5,000 shekels of bronze. Roughly 125 pounds. Not an easy thing to get around with, but for Goliath, since he's such a monster, it didn't matter. He could still run and be very agile with it. He also had a bronze greaves on his legs and bronze javelin slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam and the head of his spear weighed 600 shekels of iron. So the tip, the pointy part, was like 15 pounds. Just that part. Going on, his shield carrier also walked before him. He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel and said to them, Why do you come out to draw up in battle array? Am I not the Philistine and you servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will become your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall become our servants and serve us. Again the Philistine said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. So we see in this description, in in this movement of Goliath, not only a description of his physical prowess, and and, and that's scary enough, to show that, man, this was a a formidable foe, an, an insurmountable foe. There's no way that, humanly speaking, that anybody should be able to take this guy on, right? That's the whole point. Not only in his physical outward appearance, but the very way that Goliath spoke. His speech is also very intimidating. 
Not only that, but in, in, in the Hebrew, this, this last word in, in, in verse 10 where he says, I defy the ranks of Israel. That word actually is more than just defiance and just provo- provoking, but it, but it contain, contains the idea of contempt. To where the reality is, for Goliath, he hated God. He hated the God of Israel and he hated the Israelites themselves. And you may be wondering why, and if we had time, and you can write this in your notes, it's, it's because in 1 Samuel chapter 5, it gives this wonderful depiction of, of how the God of Israel basically just trumped <laughs> the God of the Philistines, little g, named Dagon. And what happens is the Philistines get the Ark of the Covenant, and then they take it into one of their temples. And they set this Ark up right next to, to their God, Dagon who's like a statue, right? And the next morning, where is Dagon? He's, he's tipped over right in front of the Ark of the Covenant. And the people are, well, what's up with that? So they, they stand it back up, come back the next day, and do you know what happens then? The next day, his head is, he's, he's again prostrate, but this time his head is chopped off as well as his palms. They get so freaked out and scared over the Ark of the Covenant that they begin moving it from Philistine city to Philistine city. You know where it ends up at one point? Gath, where Goliath is from. So could it be that Gath totally understood all of this and that that made him hate Israel even more? Another aspect that that we see in this is he says that you are the servants of Saul. Now that is a true statement, but it's not enough, right? Because are they just the servants of Saul? No, they are the servants of the Most High God. They are the promised chosen people of Israel. God's chosen people by covenant, right? But you don't see any of that verbiage happening. And and what Goliath is calling out, really, is he's calling out their king. He says, choose a man, but you know who it really should be is it should be your king, King Saul. And if we turn back and and, and looked at at chapter 10 and where where King Saul is chosen to be the first king of, of Israel, you know what it says about a depiction of him? You know why everybody liked him so much? And they thought, man, he's going to be a great king. Because he was tall. He stood up head and shoulders above any other Israelite. So in anybody's mind, wouldn't you think, man, Goliath, he's big, but hey, you're the biggest here, so you go take him on. But look what happens. Verse 11. That isn't what happens at all. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistines, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. So this is their response. I said we have three responses. This is the first response. Their response is utter fear. They were frozen in fear. How do you think this fear happened? This just happened from one day? Look down with me at verse 16 and we're going to see just how long this had been going on. And that this was a prolonged situation that basically made, I believe, the whole nation, the whole army and King Saul totally calloused and insensitive. Look at verse 16. The Philistine came forward morning and evening for 40 days and took a stand. 40 days, twice a day, that's 80 times. That's like six weeks where he's coming. He's coming every day, morning and evening. I don't know if any of you guys have ever moved to a house that was close to like a train that came by. 
And that maybe that train would come by at midnight and at four o'clock in the morning and, and, and it doesn't take much of an a- imagination to recognize that your first night sleeping in there, you, you're not going to enjoy that train very much, right? It's going to get you up. It's going to get you up. But what happens after you've lived in that house for a month? You go and visit somebody and they're like, what train? What do you mean? We don't hear a train. Why? Because just over time they become callous to it. I believe that's exactly what has happened to the nation of Israel. And isn't there application for you and I? Even for the American church. What, ha- what needs to happen? We need to wake up to our God. We need to take the lead from Him, not from the world. And so throughout this time, what's happening with David? We still haven't seen him come on the scene, right? And that's the next movement. Because at this time, David is, is back in Bethlehem with, with the rest of his brothers and his dad. And his dad says, hey, David, I want, I want you to go check on your, on your three big brothers who are in, in, in battle. And I, and I want you to take some cheese and some bread and I want you to go and check on them. Oh, and yeah, and give some to some of their officers too. And bring back news to me. And, and pick it up with me in verses 20 to 26. And now we'll follow this movement of David. So David arose early in the morning and left the flock with a keeper and took the supplies and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the circle of the camp while the army was going out in battle array shouting the war cry. So he's there right on time, right? I mean, this is like tip off at an NBA game or or what have you. I'm sure that David's thinking, oh, this is awesome. I get to watch this thing unfold right now. And so because of it, look at what he does. Then David left his baggage in the care of the baggage keeper and ran to the battle line and entered in order to greet his brothers. Maybe he was thinking, man, I only have so much time to talk with them. And then they're, you know, then they're going to get busy. With what? Well, this is a battle. This is supposed to be a war. As he was talking with them, okay, again, remember how I said God is in this everywhere? Notice the timing. David could have come an hour later and missed this. Entirely. But instead, God is sovereign and God is orchestrating all these things. Why? To give himself glory and to teach us about walking by faith. As he was talking with them, behold, the champion, the Philistine from Gath named Goliath was coming up from from the army of the Philistines. And he spoke these same words and David heard them. When all the men of Israel saw the man, they fled from him and were greatly afraid. Did you see the extra bit of information? that we got there. Not only are they greatly afraid, but they actually ran away (laughs) when Goliath comes. Instead of somebody saying, yeah, okay, I'll do that. They all run away. 25. The men of Israel said, have you seen this man who's coming up? Surely he is coming up to defy Israel. And it will be that the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. Then David spoke to the men who were standing by him, saying, What will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should taunt the armies of the living God? Man, there's a, a couple very powerful things within this text. The first is this is, this is the first time David speaks in Scripture. This is the first time that we see the recorded sayings of King David. And and look at his perspective. His perspective, his eyes, and and who he is focused on are in 
is entirely different than anything we've seen up to this point. You know who has not been mentioned? I've been mentioning him, (laughs) but we haven't seen him. We haven't heard him referred to. We haven't seen anybody stand up for his name. Is our God, right? The God of the Israelites. Where has he been? Well, now David says, man, what's going on? This, This is an affront against the living God. Why is this? It's because Israel saw a giant. But David, he saw a man who was a reproach to the God of Israel. So they saw somebody like this. David sees God and sees that, man, this man is just, he's an uncircumcised, he's not in covenant with our God. He's not in a right relationship with our God. What, What are you guys worried about? He in faith saw what they couldn't see. David knew what? He knew about Israel's secret weapon. Their God. Their living and one true God that is over and above all other gods and that was going to help him through this. Now, did everybody look at it from the same perspective as David? Not even close. His oldest brother, he would think, would go, David, you're so right. We've got our eyes off of Yahweh. Man, yes. We, we know that our God took us out of Egypt, our nation, and did miraculous things. We know, we know about the walls of Jericho. Yes, David, you are so right. Man, let's sit down and pray. Is that what his older brother does? No, the complete opposite. It's like he stabs him in the back. And he says, oh, I know why you're here, brother. I know the thoughts of your, th- your heart. Yeah, right, he does. Only God knows the thoughts of man's heart. Right? And then he says, oh, and the reason why you're here is because of the battle. And I'm sure David's looking around going, what battle? There is no battle. And he doesn't even defend himself with his brother, really. He doesn't even get into any kind of argument with him. He just goes on. And even this, God is active. Why? Because God uses this and this talk that's beginning to spin around about, oh, there's this young kid that just came in and he's a nothing and he's talking, 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 talking. And and before you know it, that talk goes to where? It goes to King Saul, which is the next movement. Verses 31 to 37. When the words which David spoke were heard, they told them to Saul and he sent for him. David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail on account of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. So what's David's response? Man, total courage. Hey, don't let anybody be scared of this. This what? This He's not a giant. He's just a man who's defying our God. But look at King Saul's response. Then Saul said to David, You are not able to go against the Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth, while he has been a warrior from his youth. This seems to make sense, doesn't it? Doesn't that seem like a true statement? David does seem like a little shrimp that has absolutely no idea what he's talking about. And so this seems true and this seems right, but the reality is it's false and it's totally wrong. Why? Because King Saul is looking at everything from a worldly perspective, from man's perspective, not from God's perspective, not through eyes of faith, but through an an eye of a man. So listen to what David says. But David said to Saul, Your servant was tending his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and took a lamb from the flock, I went out after him and attacked him and rescued it from his mouth. And when he rose up against me, I seized him by his beard and I struck him and killed him. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear and the uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of, one of them 
since he has taunted the armies of the living God. So David says, you know what? God's prepared me for this. You, you may think I'm, I'm, I'm not warrior candidate at all, but, but the reality is, is, you know, King Saul, actually God has, has trained me. And you might get the perspective in this that, that David actually thought, you know, he was going to do this himself. And that it was purely based upon his training that he was going to be able to do this. And based upon his own skill. And based upon his own courage. But look at verse 37. It's probably one of my favorite verses in, 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 in all of chapter 17 here. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, He will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. Who does David trust in? Who does David recognize was the one that was actually doing everything throughout all of his training in his life? He recognizes that it was God. And that God was the one delivering him. Yes, David was the one slinging, but God was the one doing the delivering. David recognized that, that in his own strength, he could not do any of this stuff. Man, shouldn't we recognize the same thing? Shouldn't we have the same eyes of faith that David had? Look at Saul's response then. Go and may the Lord be with you. I don't know, maybe it's just me, but, but I, I don't really think that, that Saul was you know, really thinking that that's what was going to happen. I, I honestly believe that Saul was kind of like, yeah, go and be with the Lord, but you're going to get demolished and destroyed. Why? Because you're nothing. You, you're not a warrior. This guy's a warrior. Which takes us to the next phase. Saul then says, oh, well, let, let me give you my armor. And, and many people think that it's because the armor didn't fit and that David was too small and that's why he didn't use the armor. But if, if you look at the text, it, it says, I can't go with these. Why? Because I've not tested them. They were not something that David was comfortable with, that he was used to. And he uses his own mind and his own reasoning to come up with the point that he said, no, I don't need these. I'm just going to go to this brook over here and I'm going to grab these five stones. Is, is faith totally apart from our thinking? No. Faith works with our thinking. God made us as, as thinkers. And we're supposed to be considering God's word even as, as someone preaches and teaches, that you don't just turn off your mind. And we see that in the life of David. So David says no. And let's see what happens next in, in, in the final movement. Movement four. As David comes to Goliath, verse 42 to 44, when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth and ready with a handsome appearance. The Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Notice again that these are unnamed gods in a, opposed to what David is going to say in, in the name that he comes. Goliath is, is coming to what he's coming in his own power and his own strength. And he looks at David as a, as a mere nothing. Then look what he says in 44. The Philistine also said to David, Come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the sky and the beasts of the field. That had to be scary. I don't care who you are. The reality is he's looking at this monster all decked up that he only has one impenetrable spot, which is, you know, the forehead. And yet look at David's response. Then David said to the Philistine, verse 45, 
You come to me with a sword and a spear and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have taunted. He says, I'm coming to you with, with the power far greater than anything that you can muster, Goliath. I'm coming to you in the name of the Lord our God. This day the Lord will deliver you up into my hands. Who will do this delivering? The Lord will. And I will strike you down and remove your head from you. And I will give you the, and I will give the dead bodies of the Philistines this day to the birds of the sky and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord does not deliver by sword or by spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and He will give you into our hands. So David actually takes the challenge and the threat of Goliath and, and, and he raises it up in ante. Goliath says, I'm going to take you out, David, and I'm going to feed your body to the, to the birds, right? What does David say? Hey, I'm not just going to take you out, Goliath. God's going to allow me to take you out and all of your army. That's the confidence that he has. Not in his own strength, but in God's strength. And then we make full circle and we go back to the verses that, that I opened up this morning. With all that as the backdrop to see how our God does this. Watch this. Then it happened when the Philistine rose and came and drew near to, to meet David that David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. See how different that is than what we'd see in every other case? When the Philistine showed up, they were scared and they ran the other way. When the Philistine shows up with David, he runs towards him. That's the eyes of faith. That's trusting God. And David put his hand into his bag and he took from it a stone and slung it. And he struck the Philistine on his forehead and the stone sank into his forehead so that he fell on his face to the ground. Now I know I've been saying all along that, that God is in this story and that, that, this, that, that this isn't a story of so much of an underdog because because David had the secret weapon. And do you know who was the one that was aiming the stone and causing the stone to, to cause Goliath to die? be real easy to think, man, that was a great shot, David. You are remarkable. You have great skill. Man, you're the man, David. But the reality is, is God gives us something in His Word that shows us something far greater than, than the strength of David and the skill of David. Look at the last part of verse 49. And the stone sank into his forehead so that he fell on his face to the ground. So what happens if, if, if a moving object hits some, somebody on the forehead and they're standing? If somebody was to throw a baseball right at my forehead right now at 95 miles an hour, hit me, which way would I fall? Forwards or backwards? Gravity would say I'm going to go backwards onto my back, right? My legs are probably going to swing up. Well, that's what I would envision happening with David and Goliath here that Goliath would fall backwards. But instead, what does the text say? It says that he fell forward. Why? Because God wants you and I to know that it was God that took him down. That it was not David. So that we can have confidence in our God that no matter what comes, we can trust Him. Man, isn't that awesome? To see how wonderful our God is. Verse 50, Thus David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. And he struck the Philistine and killed him. But there was no sword in David's hand. Then David ran and stood over the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of its sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. When the Philistines saw their champion was dead, they fled. 
Now, I recognize that that a lot of the backdrop of, of this story has to do with the nation of Israel. And it has to do with God on, honestly validating who the next king was going to be. That instead of, of Saul being a king that, that was sorely found wanting and was a failure as a king, why? Because he turned his eyes off of God and, and, and onto himself, right? And so God took the kingdom from him. And, and God says to, to Samuel in, 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 verse, in chapter 15, Hey, I'm not like man. I don't look at the outward appearance of things. I look at the heart. And I seek a, a king who has a heart that's after me. And that's what David is a picture of. And, and I recognize all that. So what do we do with this text? Well, first and foremost, I, we have to be reminded of the gospel, right? Because although you might want to say that this story, that you could put yourself in the story, who you would be, that, that you'd say that you're like David, the reality is none of us are like David. We all fail time and time again. And, and, and the picture of who David is, is one that's coming after him, right? Christ. That as God sent David to save the Israelites from Goliath, or to save the Israelites from Goliath and the Philistines, that that was just a temporary saving, right? That God actually sends Jesus to do something far greater for you and I than that. Because the, the Israelites were going to run into other enemies after the Philistines, weren't they? They were. And yet the, the picture of what Jesus did is far greater. Why? Because He gives us a peace that is eternal. And he did something that no one else could do. He lived the perfect life and then he suffered and took the punishment of sin upon himself. David couldn't do that, of course. And then on on top of it, just as David used Goliath's own sword against him, Jesus uses Satan's power of death against him and conquered death. Why? So that you and I could gain eternal life. Do you remember the story I told you at the beginning about Namadiao and, and our tribe in Papua New Guinea? And how they said this guy had come and he was offering them eternal life. You know what the problem of that story is? Is that guy's name was not Jesus. <laughs> so he was a liar. <laughs> and if there was a guy that came in, he couldn't be offering them eternal life. There's only one that have, have, has walked the face of this earth that can offer us eternal life. And that is Jesus Christ. Because He is God because He lived a perfect life, and because His death on the cross satisfied our God. So I don't know why you're here today. And I don't know if you've been coming to this church for forever. But it might be that, that, that some of you still don't understand this gospel. You still don't understand what the good news is. And, and this is the good news. That Jesus came and did what you and I could not do. Why? Because we were like the Israelites. That we were facing our Goliath, which is death. And that we were going to spend an eternity in hell and punishment because of our sins. But God had a plan that started from before the creation of anything. (laughs) Right? And that plan was to send Jesus to die in our place so that we could then have life and have it abundantly. And how do you accept this gift? Is it just believing? Well, well, the demons believe. No, it's, it's, it's like a coin. On the one side, it's believe. On the other side, it's repentance. You have to understand. What are you believing? 
You're believing what Jesus said about Himself is true, that He is God, that there is no other way to heaven but through Him and Him alone. And the repentance side is, is what you do with your sin, that you recognize, man, I can't keep living the way that I'm living. I want to follow You, God. And you cannot earn your way to heaven. You can come to church for the rest of your life and it is not going to be enough. Right? For the wages of sin is death, but what? The free gift of God. The gift of God is eternal life. It's not something we earn. It's something we're given. It's something we accept that we receive. And if, if you have not done that, man, I urge you this morning, is that what God is calling you today? Don't listen to me. I'm just a guy. But listen, listen to God's Word. I'm calling you to Himself. Now for those of us that, that know this Gospel, what does God have for you? Well, in our tribe, the way that, that I'd end most of our, our times was I'd give like a couple little questions and the people would say, well, we need something, Jason, that we can take with us as we go into our week and go to the, go to the garden and go here and go there. We, we want to be able to chew on this talk. So I'm going to give you guys something to chew on this talk. You can add it into your notes or if you have a really good memory, you can remember these. Number one, three questions. Are you willing like David to trust God in the situation that you find yourself in now or later on in this week as you walk with our God? Are you willing to trust Him? Not look at the circumstances like Saul and the Israelites, but to look at our great God and say, man, He can. He can get me through this. Number two, David looked at the things that he encountered in the past as training for how God was going to use him to overcome Goliath. What is God doing in your life to stretch your faith, to grow your faith, and to prepare you for serving Him? And what does that look like? How does God want you to serve Him in the future? Third, David understood that God's purpose for his life and and his nation was to be a witness to the world, to both of those armies, right? That's what he said. So that both the armies and the world would know the one true living God of Israel. That's what he desires for this church, for each one of you. That's what this church is about. That's what this church resonates on, focuses in, wraps themselves around, is what? The gospel, Jesus Christ. He should be everything to us. How are we doing that? How are you doing that? How are you being His witness to this world? Let me close prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, we, we stop and we thank You. We thank You for Your grace, for the power of Your Word, for even the story of David and Goliath that we've heard a million times, but we still need to keep hearing because your word is so powerful. Go before us this week. Pray that you'd be honored. Amen. Hey, thanks for being with us today. It's always a pleasure to serve you with this CD ministry. Here at Rancho Baptist Church, our mission is to glorify God by making disciples who love God, love others, and live to reach their world for Christ. And if you have any questions regarding this sermon, or just perhaps knowing God in a deeper way, don't hesitate to give us a call. Our phone number is area code 951-676-2911. Or you can reach us on the web at www.ranchobaptistchurch.org. That's www.ranchobaptistchurch.org. Have a great day in the Lord, and God bless you as you continue to walk with Him.